Hello, hello. Welcome to Conversations with the Chiefs. Uh, today, we have an exciting guest with us here today. He is a disruptor in the digital pharmacy industry, uh, competing against the likes of Amazon and Mark Cuban's company, Cost Plus Drugs. We'd like to extend our warm welcome to Satish Srinivasan, the founder and CEO of Durex. Um, nice to have you, Satish. Hey, Steve, and hi, Mike. Uh, great to see you. I've been looking forward to chatting with you guys. Thank you so much, Satish. Really a pleasure to uh, you know, at least have an opportunity to speak to you further. Thank you. My pleasure. So we're really excited to have you uh, on uh, our podcast. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about the inspiration behind uh, Directs and really how the company is working to make the prescription medicine more accessible and affordable for patients? Sure, always happy to talk about directs and our the inspiration, which is the the American consumer and how we can do better by them. Um, so just a little rewind. I've I've been in the generic pharmaceutical industry for over twenty five years, um, and so I know a thing or two about the real cost of the products and how the economics flow. And uh, it always baffled me to see how something so inexpensive could become very expensive just because of all the middlemen. Uh, holding access to the patient and the distribution pathway. So I felt the time is now right as healthcare problems keep growing and affordability starts, I mean, continues to be a, a big problem. I thought, hey, why not use a digital platform, intermediate, you know, kind of disintermediate all the middlemen, you know, pick up the products from the source, the manufacturers, and fulfill them to every single American consumer across the country through our own 50 state licensed pharmacy. So we kind of created that national hub on a digital platform. So by eliminating, you know, large wholesalers and PBMs and what have you, we save all those costs and share, uh, share that with our customers. You know, from the investor perspective, you're seeing a lot of activity flows into this category. I mean, what do you think the key drivers they've noticed are fundamentally important um, and, and they really see the growth of the industry, at least as a disruption? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, from an investor perspective as well, I'm sure they would be very interested and they have been. Uh, uh, the reason being, uh, everybody realizes there's a huge problem of affordability, right? And when they see data that over 40% of Americans are inadequately insured, uh, it automatically will click in their mind that you can't charge reimbursement type high prices on people that don't have the benefits of insurance. So it's a big, uh, you know, divide. And so if there is a simpler way to keep the cost down and bridge that 40% plus percent of the population, that could be a great solution. And uh, we've been among the front runners there. So, I mean, there'll always be a couple more coming in now and then, uh, you know, when, when they see the opportunity. And in that sense, I know Steve mentioned Mark Cuban's company and all the others. There's a reason why they've all come here because they see the potential. They're like, wow, there's this huge space. Everybody's crying about lack of access and affordability. And there's this mm -hmm. little space that people are left out without insurance. And let's try to you know, disintermediate that. Um, so everybody's trying it in their own model. Some of them go all the way. Some do a few steps. We're trying to go all the way. So, you know, looking back on your time as CEO, I know you've been serial CEO. Um, what are some of the biggest leadership lessons that you've learned and 
Really, how have those lessons influenced your approach to leading this company? Well, uh, it's good to be in a leadership position uh, because you get to kind of share the vision and set the vision. But I also am a strong believer in teamwork. I don't think I can do half as much as what we've been achieving without a wonderful team backing me up, whether it's other leadership team members or anybody even in the core management team, in the middle management. Um, the kind of company we are creating is not where somebody just looks at it as a paycheck. Of course, the paycheck is important, but mm -hmm. it's kind of let's go make a difference in an area where the country is suffering. Many of our fellow citizens are suffering and how can we make a difference? So you'll see that energy in almost anybody in the company that they're trying to make that difference while making it a viable business. So, yeah. so for me, yeah, part, partnership and teamwork is, is a very big aspect and is a lesson I continue to learn and I'm amazed by how much people are willing to support and make this work. So for me personally, there are uh, two quotes that really resonated with me throughout my entire career. Uh, the first one is by uh, Jack Welsh, the former CEO of GE. And he said, uh, before you're a leader, success is about growing yourself. When you become a leader, success is about growing others. And the, the second quote that really stuck with me was by uh, Larry Bossy, the former CEO of Ally Signal. And uh, he said, at the end of the day, you bet on people, not strategies. So what it really comes down to is, you know, leaders who prioritize the growth of others also create a legacy of impact beyond their own individual success at the end of the day. And by developing the, the skills and abilities of others, they create this rippling effect that really impact the success of, you know, the company and, you know, the lives of these individuals also. So... Um, it really all comes down to, you know, the people at the end of the day. Absolutely. I, I can't, you know, agree 100% more than what you just said. Um, that's what it comes down to, because as things grow, especially, there's just so many dimensions that come at you and nobody can master any one thing. So that's where the teamwork really plays in. And I'm very proud of the team we've built. Uh, you know, people are taking ownership. And even in our meetings, it's, you know, I, I, right from day one, I've emphasized I need everybody to speak up. There's no boss and, oh, the CEO, how can I say something? No, we're all here in a meeting in, on a team for a reason. If one guy could do it, he would have done it. The reason you're all here is we need different viewpoints and then do what's best for the business and the, and the company and our customers. So we strongly believe in that. And yeah, I, I, you know, I completely agree with, with the two quotes you, you laid out. And, you know, as far as, you know, being in like a startup environment, I guess this applies to all of us here today. Um, how do you how do you balance the demand of running a successful startup and uh, balancing that with your personal life and some of the other responsibilities that you have outside of it? Because I know that prior to us starting this podcast, you mentioned how busy you were previously and how that increased. So that just made me think of, you know, how do you balance that, you know, the personal life versus the, the business? Very good question, uh, I think. And especially with virtual work and everything, sometimes the lines have blurred. Um, uh, I, I, well, my wife is not on the interview, but I'm sure she may disagree. <laughs> uh, it has been pretty busy. Uh, but overall, I'll say, I mean, I've, I've had a career of... Uh, you know, almost uh, 28, 29 years. For the most part, I've done very well in balancing the two. But I will say once you wear an entrepreneurial hat, 
at least the initial stage, you just can't draw a straight line. I mean, uh, you got to be there for work uh, when it's needed. You got to be there for the family when it's needed. And you just figure out how to get everything done. And are you sleeping more now or less now? Well, right favorite. now, less because, uh, uh, well, I, I used to, I mean, I still, I wouldn't say I have sleepless nights, but right now we're going through a phase where we're managing growth, we're managing fundraising. There's just so many things and there's wonderful opportunities coming our way as well. So it's like, there's only so many hours in a day. Uh, but when I go to sleep, I sleep well. It may be um, fewer hours, mm -hmm. but. And are there yeah, things we've noticed that... we, we've done a lot of uh, startup work, and uh, we I always ask that question because a lot of CEOs will say, "I try to fit as much balance into my day as I can possibly, right?" Because it's so important. So a lot of them are runners. Some of them do other act, you know, active things outside. But sleep is one thing that's really important. So hopefully, you're getting more sleep. I agree, and I think in the next few months that should get better. And are there Just things that sometimes you're sometimes you have too many pieces. That's true. Are there things that you're doing, Mike, um, as far as the balance of personal life and uh, you know, your own, uh, you know, running your own business? Yeah, much like Satish, I mean, I think a, a lot of it's on on your shoulders, right? You're you're always thinking of more effective ways to be competitive in your business. So, but you also have to take time personally to ensure you're healthy because if you're not healthy, none of that really matters ultimately. So. Um, I mean, as far as like building teams, I, I think you said it really well, um, Satish, earlier. I mean, I think fostering a level of innovation and risk-taking and making sure there's a lot of collaboration and there's, you know, you expect people to kind of contribute that way. So I think you're fostering a great uh, a great company of culture that kind of mimics that. So I appreciate you uh, making that comment earlier. Thank you. Yeah, and I think for me personally, what's really helped me is to really com compartmentalize. It really helps me maintain focus and avoid burnout, you know, by preventing me from becoming overwhelmed by some of the demands of multiple responsibilities, right? So it maintains those boundaries and prevents one aspect of, you know, my life from neg negatively, you know, impacting another. So whether it be setting priorities, you know, saying no, for example, not overcommitting myself and scheduling time for, you know, just personal activities. Uh, I know that I just recently picked up, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, for example, and I have to be very disciplined in, you know, in going, you know, that's a steep time at the end of the day. So, uh, no, I definitely appreciate the, uh, those insights to teach and it is very difficult to juggle uh, amongst all three. Oh, I agree. And, uh, my wife ensures I at least get a daily walk, Packed into my busy schedule, so she and our dog and I make sure every evening at least we we take an hour's walk. Um, sometimes I may still be tempted to get on the phone, but she'll say no. This is family time, <laughs> so try to unless it's an emergency, you know, let's try to stay off. So I, I do my best, and uh, you know, sometimes on the weekends as well. So being leaders within a startup environment, how? Uh... How do you guys foster that culture of, you know, innovation and creativity within, uh, you know, within the company to really encourage employees that bring their best ideas forward? I know that that can be very difficult when we're trying to focus on the vision of the business, but you got to run some of these activities in tandem also. How do you guys do it? Well, uh, I guess it's it happens in at least two directions. So one is we set out what are we trying to do and what are we trying how are we trying to do it differently. So that sets the initial path. 
But when you actually go out there in the market, you learn a lot. There's a lot of feedback. Some things work, some things don't. And meanwhile, maybe somebody who's a remote competitor may come in and you know do something new. So it's about reading the tea leaves constantly and seeing you know kind of what's going on and then thinking differently. Can we do it better? Can we make it simpler? And never forget at the end of the day, it's for a customer at the end of the line. You're trying to make things better from uh, healthcare and you know prescription drug affordability. So we always, any idea we finally check, okay, are we going too far away or does it still meet those goals? And if it's too far away, we're like, okay, that's not what we are about, let's, let's refocus. Uh, but we're also getting many, you know, strategic adjacencies, as I call it. Like, yeah, it's prescription, but with that, you add a service, makes life all the more better for that patient or the customer. So keep an open mind, read the tea leaves, and never say no without really thinking it through. These are some some approaches, and we encourage anybody and everybody on the team to speak up and contribute ideas and you know, sometimes the first time you hear it, you're like, wow, really? And then you really start <laughs> noodling into it. You're like, wow, how come we never thought of that before? So be very open-minded. That's that's what I always say. How important do you think the uh, the consumer experience is, you know, in terms of delivering value to your customers, especially in this climate of digital? I think it is uh, supremely important. Uh, as a company, that's something we spend a lot of time, resources, and focus on. Uh, because we said, okay, for our messages, okay, come to us, our prices are cheap. Okay, they may come to us once, twice, but it's not something that endears you to them. What's going to make them come, not only because it's very affordable, but they love the experience. They felt you treated them so well that they're never, ever going to look anywhere else. And uh, I, again, would credit our team, the, the way they've built the whole customer experience. Uh, we have among the highest ratings in customer satisfaction in the pharmacy industry. Um, on the uh, trust pilot scale. And uh, we continue to see a majority of customers who come to Direx and use us once, come back and click on our auto refill option and stick with us for, for a long time. So that's really helping us every month. The, the proportion of returning customers is growing as a piece of the total business. So uh, looks like we've been off to a good start and our investment in that customer experience has really paid off. And Mike, how uh, how would you answer that question as as far as like fostering that culture of uh, innovation? Well, I think part of the way uh, Shatish already answered, I think it's actually um, making sure employees have a vested opportunity in being uh, you know able to collaborate and have an interest in everything that happens from an innovation perspective. So I think that's really critical. At, and they they need to have a voice. And I think, frankly, from a recruiting perspective. You know, those type of people, the people that really are interested in innovation, right, um, and risk-oriented companies, are they thrive in this kind of environment. So I think you've got to create an environment where that can happen naturally. But it's all, it all starts at the top, and I think Satish has demonstrated that's his leadership style. So I think it's, uh, you know, fundamentally, a, a, you know, a good, a good thing to have in a culture. No, I, I completely agree with you that it is from the top down, and just having the leaders set that clear expectation from the very beginning. Uh, because oftentimes we think about, you know, our go-to-market strategies, our product roadmaps, client user experience um, as leaders. But I think it's just as important to look inwards also to not only provide resources and opportunities uh, to employees. So um, 
they can you know, work on, whether it be passion projects, leverage tools and technology to drive further innovation and just really reward them for recognizing you know, their, their creativity within, their, you know, within the organization and pretty much coming down to just embracing diversity and inclusion at the end of the day also. So creating a diverse and inclusive workplace where employees from different types of backgrounds and experiences feel valued and respected and obviously, all this can lead to new perspectives and uh, ideas. Completely agreed. So, um, how does uh, how does Drex stay informed about you know some of the latest trends and developments within the pharmaceutical industry, Satish? And really, what strategies does the company use to stay ahead of the curve? We, uh, we draw on many sources. So remember, we are digital pharmacy guys who came from the pharmaceutical industry. So we have unique networking and connectivity into that industry that supplies us compared to other pharmacies that only look at that transactional point. We go way back and uh, even even this week, we, we, we got introduced to some um, you know significant opportunities where a pharmaceutical company is just thinking, hey, here's this really valuable product. And are we losing too much money just going through the supply chain? And can we think of it differently? And we are the first call they make because they're like, they not only see us as pharmacy people who can go nationwide, but they're also pharmaceutical people. They know how we do and what we do. And maybe together we can come up with a better strategy. Um, so one way is, of course, the industry that supplies us pharmaceutical products. Um, the other is uh, we've also kind of plugged into this evolving digital health ecosystem and since everything, almost everything is online these days, it's very easy. And so I'm a, I'm a prolific, uh, when I say social media guy, I'm not talking only Instagram or, or TikTok, but more like mm -hmm. you know, LinkedIn, we are following so many companies, so many other leaders to see what is their vision of the evolving healthcare landscape and what can we learn from that. So I, I bring many of those, I share this with my team saying, hey, you know, uh, su such and such companies leaders said this, this is what they're thinking. How does this impact us? Can we can we plug into that, or can we do something better? You know, so it's always inputs from the, the you know the the glass in front of us, and some are from the rear view mirror as well. And uh, and some things work, some don't. So just be again, you learn from that and keep sharpening uh, the tools. With the lack of the refills, right? There's like 81 million plus refills or, or fills that didn't happen. I think a couple of years ago. I don't know the exact statistic, but it's something to that effect. It's a significant number. How are you, you know, getting interest from consumers? How are you getting stickiness to your your service? How are you building awareness? So it's a it's a combination. Uh, initially, because we were virtually unknown, you know, new concept, new model, uh, we had to get the message out. So we did make some significant investments in social media advertising and and digital. Um, of course, it's pretty expensive, especially for a young company. So we did that to the point where, you know, we we came up on all the search engines and we had kind of, we had our space in the algorithm, if I may. Uh, but then we've started kind of moving away. Where can we access that kind of visibility at a lower cost? So including, uh, you know, a PR effort um, and then including many partnerships. Uh, we've also gone into, uh, you know, certain rare disease foundations, for example, and offered, you know, certain key products in those therapy areas at a very, very, very uh, 
exciting discounted price that they can't find anywhere else. Not just the price, but it's about giving that message, sharing a message, and through their you know networks and blog posts and things. Also, they say, hey, you know, we're partners with Directs, and this is how they helped us. And so some of it is our own direct marketing, is, uh, through PR efforts, through partnerships with other industry players who have complementary pieces of the action, um, and then of course, uh, more recently, we we have a big push into the B two B segment. So whether it is uh, prescriber-related, direct primary care kind of clinics where uh, they don't accept insurance and it's all cash-based, but it saves money for the patient, the doctors, mm-hmm. everybody. So those are, we're going into many brokers who are then spreading the word in the employer side. Um, so it's a mix and match, you know, whatever works and whatever we feel can be more efficient to get the message out. It's slower than I'd like, uh, but it's getting there. Yeah, I'm sure that there's a lot of trial and error that goes into that also. So when you reflect back at, let's say, if you were to start all over again, what would some of the things that you do different this time? Interesting question. Uh, I mean, we learn and then use that for forward. But if I were to go back and start, um, probably I may change the mix of you know, that whole, how do we build visibility and would it be as much into digital marketing or would we kind of redeploy that in other areas? Maybe I would have looked at it in a slightly different balance, uh, but everything had a reason, everything has an outcome and, <laughs> you know, we are where we are, but maybe that would be one thing. If I were to go back, I may redistribute how we, we look at demand generation because if you were, i mean even the market is evolving so you can't say one thing will work the other one yeah sorry mike no no worries uh if you were sharing your wisdom as a startup ceo to other peers or you know other ceos that are in a similar situation i mean what kind of what have you learned from your playbook over time that you might share with them as a startup ceo so one is have a clear vision but always be open to Pivoting. And when I say pivoting, I'm not saying completely change the business, but nearby adjacencies, you should be very open to that because you may you may have a great idea, but you never know how well it works until you actually, you know, get down into the field. So be open to pivot. The second I, I believe is uh, always be open to partner with other companies. No one company can have all the solutions, but you find synergies where one plus one is more than two. Um, and, uh, you know, that really could power the growth very well. These are two, maybe a few more, but yeah, these are two that come to mind. Very helpful. Good, Steve. And when you, uh, look ahead into the future, I mean, what do you see as a future of, uh, prescription medicine, uh, access and affordability? Um, and really how do you envision, you know, direct, um, and directs evolving to really meet those changing needs of patients and providers? Nice question. Uh, I see a future where, and then we, we've already laid the foundation for it. I, I don't know if you're familiar on the direct to consumer side of the market. We have launched something called the annual savings plan where people just prepay an annual uh, fee or they could pay quarterly with a slight you know, increment on that fee. Um, and they get to pick any number of prescriptions from a large selection of 500 or 1,000 SKUs of prescription medication. We believe we are the first to offer that in the country. I mean, companies like Amazon tried recently, but it's like 50 products. I mean, we have 1,000 out there. 
Um, uh, and then a similar version of that called the Smart Pharmacy Program, which is for the larger B2B groups and partnerships, employers. I mean, everybody is suffering with healthcare costs. Mm -hmm. So how can you give them a big basket of fixed fee so nobody goes into uh, comparing, hey, I was prescribed medication X. How much does it cost here at Walmart versus CVS versus Directs? Just remove that. You pay one fee uh, and you know you get wide coverage. And I, I do see that coming. And we have been kind of forerunners on that. None of the very large names that you earlier mentioned uh, offer those kind of programs. And as a second step of that, we see that integrating with primary care. As you can see, there's a lot of telehealth happening. There's a lot of virtual primary care and those kind of developments. Um, and they all cater to the self-funded employer groups. That's a big move I see. So everybody is going into that PMPM concept per member per month, fixed fee and everything is covered. So either alone as a prescription provider or in collaboration with primary care and other virtual groups, um, we think uh, the day is not too far where uh, people just pay one price per year uh, and whatever they need is covered. Of course, there may be exceptions when you go to branded products and specialty because some of those are super expensive. But for the mm -hmm. most part, considering that 90% of the prescriptions in the country are dispensed as generic, nine out of 10 prescriptions could benefit from that. So we have made a big bet on that. And that's why we've already taken steps in that direction. Now it's all about getting the word out and scaling and getting more people to, to benefit from those programs. And uh, as you may know, uh, Everyday Health already named us on the best online pharmacy list for 2023, primarily citing the annual savings plan for the consumers, um, while Fast Company named us on the top 10 uh, most innovative companies in healthcare for 2023. Um, primarily based on the smart pharmacy plan, which is the same concept for large employer groups and the like. And Forbes named us both 2022 and 2023 best online pharmacy. So for a company in less than 15, 16 months to get these recognitions, um, I see it as a, as a good, uh, uh, you commendation or recognition that these new innovations that we are launching pay one price. You know, you don't have to worry about which tablet and, you know, where, where it costs, how much. Um, I think these will be here to stay, and uh, we definitely want to popularize those. So when you look forward into the future, um, is there anything that um, is around the corner for uh, Brex that you're particularly excited about? Uh, yeah, there are a, a few very exciting projects. They're not ready for public domain consumption <laughs> yet. Uh, some of them are unique opportunities, and we would like to, you know, get everything tied up before we can announce and launch them. Uh, but we we do believe that you know we have strategic differentiation on an ongoing basis that we could we could offer. Ultimately, they all meet the same goal: better access and affordability for the American consumer. So it sounds like you certainly got a lot of different programs on the horizon, uh, a lot of exciting ones currently happening. So um, what uh, what exactly keeps you up at night uh, when you're when you're running this business? There must be maybe two or three key things that really do keep you up. Uh, yeah, I think like any early stage company founder, uh, you know, keeping the funding going until we achieve that scale and the the cash cash positive stage uh, stage uh, is definitely you know something always top of mind. 
uh, especially given the tough financial environment around us over the past, I would say now it's almost a year now. Um, so it hasn't been easy. Our previous earlier rounds of fundraising, you know, moved very quickly. This one's been stretching out and taking time. That being said, uh, many of our existing investors have been very supportive and uh, they've been coming back. They may not do be able to do as much as we need, but whatever they can, they've been very supportive. So we're very, uh, you know, uh, fortunate to have that kind of support and we continue to uh, keep fundraising, you know, from other sources as well. So uh, I think we'll be there in a few months to a much, uh, you know, safer platform. But right now, that's constantly something, uh, you know, number one on my mind because we mm -hmm. have wonderful things to deliver and and good returns to deliver as well. We just need to kind of get to that stage. So, so that's one. And uh, uh, everything else, I think, is slow down. I mean, certain launches, certain business opportunities to make sure they all go well. Uh, again, I'm very proud that as a team, uh, even though we are early stage, our execution has been top notch. The number of things we've done in such a short time, uh, when we even speak to prospective investors and other industry watchers, everybody's like, wow, you did all that in like 15 months or you know 20 months. That's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, thanks to teamwork. With that said, with that type of accomplishment and certainly the awards you mentioned, very impressive. I mean, where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, I think we we hope to be part of a large integrated digital health platform framework uh, where the pharmacy is the core, but includes certain elements of the providers and the prescribers and other forms. And I think one big area that U.S. healthcare has been missing out is prevention is better than cure. Uh, and you you see a bit of it every now and then, certain articles, there are some parts of our healthcare experts saying, you know, how do we educate people to eat better and, you know, instead of stuffing everything up and then saying, oh, I need to now take this medication, do that, <laughs> all of that. It's a balance, right? We're not saying anything is good or bad, but uh, some of that rebalancing. So. Ideally, if you're talking about a five-year horizon, hopefully there's more awareness and we can build all this. And today with digital apps, your watches and other things reminding you, hey, it's time to go for a run, you know, drink some water, stay hydrated, whatever. And uh, so kind of bring all of those elements and digital health makes it easy. So for us, we're good. We're happy that we are on that track and which way we go and what all we build and, you know, certain things we would like to kind of rethink and reimagine but one step at a time right now you know we, we're off to a good start and we'd like to get this uh in, in a very good shape and do you think that that five-year horizon could be condensed by the leveraging of whether it be ai machine learning or some of the new emerging technologies that are out there in the market Yes, I do think so. There's a lot of non-patient facing things that I think uh, we could automate and make faster. So maybe five years can become in three years. Uh, but I still think there needs to be that human element when it comes to healthcare, uh, right? I mean, as much as I'm a big technology geek, I think I'd like a doctor or somebody to see me and tell me, hey, we checked this out and this is my interpretation. Don't worry, you're going to be okay. Um, instead of you know seeing it on a screen. So Somewhere we have to find the right balance of that human touch, but with a lot of super efficiency in the background using AI and other other modes. 
it's a very impressive future, especially with algorithms involved in pretty uh, pretty much every aspect of healthcare delivery, like you mentioned. So any other any other things you could comment on in terms of future innovation you're seeing that has an impact on your business? Uh, no, I just think that more pieces are going to get connected together. Uh, it's not just go to the doctor, get a prescription, but you know, even diagnostics coming into the mix. Um, these days you hear about certain healthcare startups where um, you just go and lay on that, you know, the bed where the doctor would examine you. But even mm -hmm. before the doctor comes, the bed takes all your readings and vitals, everything. And there's a digital report waiting on the screen, not, not even a nurse or anybody coming in to take your vitals. It's all on the seat. Um, and then I, I read about another company with a further iteration of that. They don't even need a doctor at each location. Uh, so they have uh, all these monitors and these seats. The vitals are ready. And then there's a bunch of doctors sitting at one central location. And from there, they talk to you. So that way they make it more efficient. Uh, from a cost of operation perspective, but get you the best expertise. Uh, but that chair does all the job. So sounds like, you know, Aladdin and the magic lamp, maybe five, 10 years ago, but it's all Possibly. happening. Yeah. It's all happening. It's right in front of us right now. And I think those are, those are all the questions we had here today. Uh, we usually like to wrap up uh, our segment with uh, just advice that you could give, whether it be professionals coming up within your space, um, or I would say maybe like a, let's say a first time CEO within the space, or are there pieces of advice that you can impart on them as you are navigating that next step in their career? That's a tough one. Everybody has some strengths. Uh, I would say, you know, whether you're a seasoned veteran or a, a newbie, uh, everybody has value to offer newbies because they bring in a fresh perspective. They're not colored by anything that they've seen in the past. And then veterans know certain things will blow up if you don't do it a certain way. <laughs> so there's value. And I think uh, it's always good to mix the two. Uh, and yet those two groups should be very open um, to, to listen to each other. They need not agree on everything, but to at least listen um, but I think constantly, I mean, I'm personally just excited about how things keep improving as teams interact this way and keep bringing out the best ideas. Um, so, I mean, the, the younger generation, I would say, you know, stay excited. This just the pace of innovation these days is way more than maybe 10, 20, 30 years back. So you, you are living in a very fortunate and happening time and make the most of it. And uh, to the more senior veterans, um, if they are now new CEOs, but they've had various experiences, uh, you know, use that learning, but keep an open mind and, you know, always look at what's the next, never stop because you may think this is a great idea. I've done it and stop, but in six months, the world is going to change again. So, you know, always stay current, stay informed. And again, don't forget to partner because you can move faster that way. How about things like uh, mentorship, for example? I know it's very important very early on, but once you hit a certain pinnacle in your career, how how important is it to just keep that going? I think it's very, very important. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I think mentorship, whether it is at the younger age or even when you know, you've reached a certain point where you think you know it all, but you don't really know it all because you know what you know. You don't know what you don't know. <laughs> Um, I think uh, it's very valuable to have mentors. They always help you take a step back, you know, get your head out of what you've been obsessed with 
and mm -hmm. say, hey, did you see that? And you know, and how do you plan? And here's how somebody is doing. And even kind of help you manage. It could be, you know, how do I manage without getting overwhelmed? How do I prioritize? So everybody's skill sets are different. Some may be brilliant in thinking about work, but they may not be able to organize themselves or they may get overwhelmed easily. So, or some may be mentally strong, but may not be very productive. So it's about how do you get the most out, most out of each person and optimize. So it always helps to have mentors at every stage, even when you're early in the learning curve as well as later. I, I strongly endorse that. And when you look back at your career, have there been any type of mentors that stuck out in your mind that's been influential and in just really shaping where you are today, Satish? I would say definitely in the early part of my career, yes, there were at least a couple of mentors I can always think of who taught me things in the pharmaceutical world, what works, what doesn't, uh, where do you go if, you, if you're looking for new things and so on. Uh, and definitely learned a lot from them. Um, at this stage, I don't actively have a mentor, but I have been thinking about it saying, okay, I think a year from now, once we reach a certain scale and all that, I should probably get back into that loop so that, you know, it kind of refreshes my, my thinking process. So maybe, you know, if we meet again in a few months, hopefully we'll have something <laughs> to talk about that. Well, we'd be happy to share one with you, of course. Oh, so. always, always glad to receive that recommendation. Thank you.